Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Romans chapter 12. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you need a Bible, we have some stacked behind each row of chairs in the back on tables. And we'll throw up the references and the page numbers from those Bibles, ESV Bibles there. We would really like you to follow along and look and see that what we're talking about and teaching from is the very words of the living God. If I don't stay close to what is in here, I don't have anything to say to you of eternal value. So I want to stay close to what's in here. I want to expound upon and proclaim the truth of the Word of God. That's my calling, and I believe God uses that for His glory to change people's lives. Romans chapter 12. Last four weeks, we've covered verses 1 and 2. Let me read them one at a time, make a comment to set up verse 3 that we're going to look at today, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let me just sum up verse 1 with a couple of thoughts. Paul tells us that what life is really all about, should be about, for us as followers of Christ, is that we should be living lives that are lives of worship to God. And the reason that we should do that is because... If we're sons and daughters of God, we've come to understand the mercies of God that he refers to. That's the motive and the basis behind which he gives this charge that we're to present our bodies fully to God and to live lives of worship because of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how he's given to us his mercies. Then what he does in verse 2 is he tells us how to do that. He tells us how we can live lives that are day in and day out acts of worship to God. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what Paul tells us here in verse 2 review is that the way that we live lives that are according to the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, lives that are acts of worship, is that we do it by having our minds renewed. We spent a couple of weeks talking about the renewal of the mind. You see, we have a problem. We have a mind broken by sin. We have a mind that is influenced by the sinful nature. And so what has to happen in order for us to think rightly, to think godly, we have to have God's thoughts come into our mind and begin to shape and fashion our minds. And here is where God's thoughts are. 
And so the renewal of the mind happens as the Word of God, we take in the Word of God and the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change us and make us more like the Son of God, i.e., so that we do the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, living lives of worship. Happens through the renewed mind. The renewed mind transforms. That's what he says in verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, the call here is a general truth that is given about Christianity. It's the great foundational truth of Christianity related to how we're supposed to live. And the truth, it's a story here, a general overview of sanctification. And the story is this, because of what God has done for you in Jesus, the only right response is that you and I, if we've accepted God, come to realize the truth of his mercy, then we sell all out to God and we give our lives as a living sacrifice, as acts of worship Every day, whatever we do, whoever we come in contact with, continually having our minds renewed by the Spirit of God through the work of the Word of God, making us more like the Son of God. Great overarching truth. And then, Paul says just... To unpack this a little further, Colossians, I want to read you two verses. Not in Romans. Keep your finger in Romans 12. But there's a critical truth I want to point out here. Colossians 3.10. Colossians 3.10. Paul wrote to the church of Colossae. And he wrote these words. Colossians 3.10. Writing to the believers there, you have put on the new self, which is being, listen to the similar words, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Can you hear that syncopated sentence there? It's being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How are We renewed, we're renewed with some knowledge, some God-given knowledge. And that God-given knowledge is related to the image of the Creator. Who's the image of the Creator? Jesus Christ. He is the full representation in Him All the fullness of the deity dwelt. You see, the way that we are renewed is as we take the Word of God and look at the person of the Son of God and begin to see Him in His excellence, in His supremacy. We begin to see Him in His beauty so that it captivates us and it becomes the greatest longing of our life to be in closeness with Jesus Christ because He is all beautiful and all majestic and so we focus on Him through whom we gain our knowledge of God and we are renewed, we're transformed through that. 
One more verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We've looked at this the last two Sundays, but it is such a critical part of this truth. I want to read it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Listen to what he writes about this transforming process of us growing in our faith. He writes, and we all talking about believers, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you see the components here? How is it that we're transformed? It's as we behold the glory of the Lord. Where do we behold the glory of the Lord? I got all day. Thank you. Right here. We behold the glory of the Lord as the Spirit of the Lord. The last part of that verse. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We behold the glory of Christ as the Spirit of God helps us to see the excellencies and the supremacy of Christ in the Word of God. And what happens when that is taking place is that we're transformed. Transformed into what? Better businessmen? No, we are transformed into the same image. Wow, you guys are like way quiet today. Tell you what, let me do this. Go with me here for a minute. Everybody say, amen. Everybody say, preach it, Brad. Everybody say, I believe that. that. Everybody say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what? You have the privilege and even the request. You can do that all throughout the message. (laughs) Okay. Sometimes that's really a challenge for us white folk. I know that. We just don't quite have it in in the genes, right? Uh, so Paul having established this great overarching principle of the Christian life this general truth about what the Christian life is to look like as it's lived out then he goes to verse 3 and the rest of chapter 12 and he tells us what that looks like in detail form. So what he does in verses 3 to the end of the chapter is he says this, here is what a renewed mind looks like. It's through the renewed mind that you're transformed. So he says, here is what a renewed mind thinks like. You see, the point is this, folks. The only way that we can live the Christian life is supernaturally. You cannot get saved and say, now that I'm saved, I'm just going to work really hard and be really diligent. And with all of my willpower, I'm going to do all that God wants me to be and live live a daily 
day in and day out in acts of worship, surrendering my body fully to the Lord. No, it doesn't work that way. You'll never get it done. You're broken. You need the help of the Spirit of God. And the way that God has made that help available is through the renewing of the mind process that transforms you as you take this, particularly Jesus in this, and the rest of the truth under the leadership of the Spirit, and He uses it as you continually renew your mind with it to transform you. That's the way it works. It's supernatural. It's God-enabled. It's man-impossible, but it's God-done. All right, brother. All right, here we go, verse 3. For by the grace... Given to me, Paul writes, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. First thing that I want to show you is that Paul says, I'm going to give you this charge based upon the grace given to me. It's like he's pulling kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Kind of a a power card here. I don't mean that negatively, but he says, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a command, but here's what I want you to know. It's by the grace that God has given me that I have the right to give you this command. So what is the grace that God had given Paul? Well, first thing that jumps out, other than him being a believer, is he's an apostle. He's called of God to be an apostle. He's called of God to be a communicator and and an expounder of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. So he's got authority from Jesus to do this. But Paul also had a unique authority, I believe, even unlike any other apostle. Now, I'm not being heretical here. Let me just show you a verse from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul is talking about the mystery that has been revealed, that God gave to him to reveal to humanity. And the mystery is this, that God was going to take Jews and Gentiles and bring them together into one body through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But then he says down in verse 9 something else in addition to that mystery. He says in verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? He talks here about the calling of God on his life to bring to light what? For everyone the plan of the mystery. And the next verse starts talking about how the church is going to show forth the manifold wisdom of God to the world and to the heavenly realms. Here's the point. God gave Paul uniquely the manifold administration or mystery of the plan. Plan for what? How the church is to function. 
God communicated to Paul the plan of the mystery, the outworking of the gospel in the life of the church. He is authoritatively gifted by God to communicate to humanity the plan of the mystery for the church. The administration of the plan. In other words, Paul knows how this church is supposed to be set up and how it's supposed to work and what's going to make it function. And every other church on the planet, God said, Paul, I'm giving this to you because I want you to communicate it to humanity. The mystery of the plan or the plan of the mystery for the church. Wow. Just in light of that, Think about what that verse means then. For by the grace given to me, I'm going to say something to you. Man, here's the authoritatively, divinely inspired man that God intended to communicate the mystery related to how we'll relate to one another. And that's what he's going to do in chapter 12, verse 3 and on. So let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, here's how he starts. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul begins with what? He begins with how we view ourselves. Isn't that interesting? Verses 1 and 2 are really all about how we view God, but then he comes right down into the rubber meets the road in the life of the church, and he said, if you want to have renewed thinking, if you want to think the way God wants you to think, then First and foremost, you're going to have to think right about yourself. And a key to that is not to think more highly of yourself than you ought. Humility. Humility. He's advocating that we in the life of the church live in humility with one another, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. You know, that is one of the hardest things that we encounter in life is how to think rightly about ourselves. You know that? There's just this core problem with us. It's that middle letter to sin. It's I. It's the issue of pride. It's that thing that all humanity struggles with. And what Paul says is the way that you begin to have your mind renewed related to the rest of the world is first of all, you got to think the thoughts that God thinks about you. So what has Paul said in the previous 11 chapters of Romans about the truth of us? Well, he said a lot of things. He said, there is no one righteous, verse chapter 3, verses I think 10 and following. There's no one righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There's no one who does good. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 6. The wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You see, what he does in Romans is he casts this net over all of the human race that we are all guilty and condemned. But here's what else he does in Romans. Because you not only can think too highly about yourself, you can think too lowly about yourself. Do you know that? You can think too lowly as a believer about yourself. 
You can think, oh, God can never use me. I've got a past that has ruined me and made me unusable. That's hogwash. God is the God of the impossible. Hallelujah. God is the God that takes donkeys and gets his message out through, right? God can use anything he wants to use. It's about God's power, not yours. It's just about your availability. It's about his power. So here's what we need to do here. We need to begin with a renewed mind to think rightly about ourselves, not too highly and not too lowly about ourselves. Don't listen to the negative self-talk that the enemy feeds you and others around you, probably most of the time because they're jealous of you, feeds you. Don't take it. Take the truth of the Word of God. This is the, the subject matter of renewed thinking. You take this. You see, we need to have thoughts from above come in and change our earthbound, broken thoughts. And so we take the thoughts about what God has said about us, both the truth of our absolute need and hopelessness without His grace and His glory and the truth of about what He's done for us in Christ. Like we are, have been crucified with Christ and resurrected with Him and now are seated with Christ at the right hand of the throne of God. Done deal. That's true of every believer. We're just waiting for this body to finish the redemption process, God to finish it so that we can kind of realize it and see it with our own eyes. But it's already true. So don't think too highly. Don't think too lowly. You know, it's really interesting. Paul wrote Romans, guess from where? From Corinth on one of his missionary journeys. Guess what he faced in Corinth? He faced a bunch of people in the church that were thinking too highly about themselves related to a number of things, related to their pedigree, related to who they knew. Oh, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos about what kind of giftings they had. Man, I have the miraculous gifts, the supernatural gifts. I'm better than you or I don't have them. I must not be as significant. That's the location from which he wrote this letter right here. That's just pretty incredible to me. We've seen it firsthand. Don't think too highly about yourself than you ought to think. But listen to what he says. But think with sober judgment. That just simply means you need to think about yourself with the right estimate. You see, the Bible doesn't say don't think about yourselves. It's actually telling you to think about yourselves here. That's the admonition. Don't think too highly, but the focus is you do need to consider yourself in relationship to what this text is saying. You're being commanded by the apostle who is given the administration of the plan for the church to think about yourself here. But specifically about what? Here it is. But to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned.
the key to thinking rightly is that we are to think about ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to us. So let me talk about that for a minute. First of all, let me just focus in on the word faith and make a general truth and then two specific truths from the verse. What does it mean to think about ourselves on the basis of faith? That's what he's saying, right? Before we look at the specifics, that we're to think about ourselves according to the measure of faith. Faith is to be the essence or the centrality through which we think about ourselves. So what does that mean? What is the central reality about our faith? There's only one biblical answer to that question. It's the person of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. So generally speaking, I believe we can say what it means to think about ourselves rightly have a renewed mind in relationship to faith is that we are in faith to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. We are to put our energy and our effort in what I was saying initially to look at the supremacy and the excellency and the glory and the majesty of the person of Jesus Christ, the mercies of God in Jesus so that that vision so captivates us and calls us forward so that all of the things of the world and their enticements pale in comparison and lose their power to pull us off course because we've seen what truly is the essence of life and it's Jesus. We are seeing him in increasing measure in his greatness, and that is like a purifying fire that's ruining us for everything else. I think that's the general idea here of thinking about ourselves in relationship to faith. But look specifically. He says two things related to that faith. Notice at the end of verse 3 that he says that that measure of faith is faith that God has assigned. God has assigned you your faith. Faith is not something that you generated, initiated, came up with on your own. Faith is a gift from God to you. We're not going to print this verse. I'm not going to throw it on the screen, but Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And then here's the following statement. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God. But listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, chapter 4, verse 7. This might be the middle of the verse that I've got printed. I can't remember if I printed the whole thing here, but what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Look, faith is a gift. Can you see how 
Paul's opening statement, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And then he starts talking about faith. Man, if faith's a gift, can you see how that would kill pride? If it's totally from God and not from you, how can you boast? How can you be arrogant about it? It's not yours. It was unmerited favor, unmerited grace. You didn't come up with it. You didn't say, man, I'm going to believe. And God said, okay, because you initiated, I'm responding. No, everything that you have, you received it from God. So that's a death blow from the word of God to pride and arrogance and merit. I mean, we deserved everything else but God's grace. But God gave us faith so that he could save us. So faith is a gift from God. But then number three, here's where it gets really kind of wild and incredible related to the sovereignty of God. Paul writes, think with sober judgment about yourselves, each according, here it is, to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do you know that God has not only given you the faith that you have, He has determined the measure of faith that you have. That song that we were singing, God is sovereign over us. He's sovereign, period, over everything. And one of the aspects of his sovereignty is that he distributes specifically measures of faith to those that he saves. You say, Brad, wow, that is hard. That's a hard truth. It is a hard truth. I mean, if that's true, Brad, that makes my effort in sanctification, my effort in obeying God just pointless, doesn't it? I mean, if God is the one that not only gives the faith, but God is the one that determines how much faith I have, then what am I doing? I just need to hang out and wait around until home, heaven. Fatalistic, pointless then for me to strive and seek to please God and to learn His will and to do His will and to live out every day in acts of worship. And I want to challenge that thinking. That's not biblical thinking. That's faulty thinking. Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. I've read one of these verses a few times in Romans 12 already, but I want to put them together because there's a significant connection here that I want you to see. Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Push pause right there for a minute. That sounds like the believers are being called to do something, doesn't it? I mean, a aggressively they're called to do something you're to work out your salvation you're to obey you've been obeying but do it even more work out your salvation with fear and trembling even when it's tough even when the times are hard i want you to give yourself a hundred percent to this but then comes verse 13 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What I want you to see is the connecting word between verse 12 and verse 13. It's the word for. You see, what this says is that verse 12 is possible because of the truth of verse 13. That you can do verse 12 because of the promise and the guarantee of verse 13. Let me make it explicit. The only reason that we as followers of Christ can work to obey and work out our salvation is because for it's God that works in us to do two things. Both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It's God that does it. Makes you will, desire, long for, aspire to. Man, you want to live more for God? That's because God is working in your heart, making that desire come alive in you. You want to do it because God is giving you the desire to do it. And then he works in you to work as well as will. He works in you to get done the desire to carry it out. You see, it's the sovereignty of God that Paul uses right here to motivate us to live lives of sanctification. It's not a fatalistic situation. In Paul's mind, Paul doesn't say, oh, wow, because God works in us both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. We just need to hang around and just kind of lounge chair it on the way to heaven and wait to get there. No, he says the very reason, the fact that God is the one who works in you to will and to work for him according to his good pleasure is the very thing that makes your working out your salvation possible. It's not fatalistic. It's what enables you to get in the game. So get in the game. Get in the game. Begin to give yourself to the working out of your salvation, knowing that it's not hopeless for you. You got the God of the universe behind you to help you to get it done. Give me an amen to that. Hallelujah. Now listen. Let me close with this. This statement in context, in the text that follows, in the verses that we're going to look at in the next couple of messages, this measure of faith is related to spiritual giftings. That's what he's going to talk about immediately following this. In fact, as he begins to talk about the spiritual giftings, remember, Think about yourself according to the measure of faith God has given you. Let me just read. We're not going to put up on the board, but let me just read one of the statements that he makes about the giftings. Verse 6 of chapter 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Here's the point. 
we use our giftings based upon the measure of faith that we have or our giftings correspond to the measure of faith that God has given to each of us. So let me close with this thought. Oh, Lord, please let this sink in. Paul is telling us that not only he wants us to, he's commanding us by the authority as an apostle and the one God has given the plan of the mystery for the church to, he is saying to us by the authority of God himself, here's what you need to do. You need to think about yourself in relationship to the measure of faith God has given you. You need to do that. And that measure is related to your giftings. So here's the connection. You're supposed to discover what your giftings are and get them engaged in the life of the church. You are supposed to do that. It's a command that you do that. You find out what your giftings are, the measure of faith that God has given you related to your giftings, and then you begin to serve God by using those giftings to build his kingdom. Like Alan and Gina Brown, testimony here on the stage. Like Many of you that are serving in ministry, you use your giftings according to the measure of faith. And Paul said, I want you to think about it. That's how I want you to think about yourself. That's how you renew your mind. One of the ways that you renew your mind, watch how this works. One of the ways you renew your mind under the sovereign power of God is that you come to understand God's thoughts about you. You begin to think and understand how God has wired you and gifted you. And then those thoughts Thoughts become the transforming aspect of your life because the Spirit has you act upon those thoughts and you begin to live out your giftings, flesh out your giftings. You're not just coming here being a taker every Sunday. You're a participant. You're a member of the body. You got something to do. You're engaging in the life of the church as a contributor. And then what happens is Christ is glorified. And the more that you do it, the more that you see him and the more he is glorified in this, this incredible cycle that builds upon itself. But if you are just sitting there and receiving, you're not thinking renewed thoughts. You're not thinking the thoughts that renew you and transform you about you. You're supposed to think about the measure of faith God has given you related to your giftings. And use them. He says it over and over again in the verses that follow. If you have this gift, use it. 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 Wow, I said too much. Please stand. Let me just pray over you as the worship team comes. Father, Oh, Lord. God, you are sovereign over us. 
I used to have very little understanding as a follower of Christ what that meant. 19, 20 years ago when I took over the lead pastor of this church by your leading, I had very little understanding what that meant. Thank you for your grace upon my life to teach me a little fraction of what it means and yet it is an endless ocean of truth that we cannot fully fathom, but I want to keep swimming around and I want to keep diving into. I want to keep getting refreshed by and invigorated by and empowered by your sovereign over us. Even to the giving of faith and even to the measure of faith that you choose to give. Man, if we were trying to put that plan and idea together, as Christians, we would say, the way it needs to work is everybody needs to be equal in faith in the church. And now, But you said that's not the way that your wisdom works. It says some are weaker and some are stronger, that the stronger help the weaker, and the love of Christ is displayed through that action. It says one with one gift comes alongside of another person that doesn't have that gift in the midst of a need, that love takes place in living color, and the church is built up in love. Thank you, Lord, that your ways are higher than our ways your thoughts than our thoughts. Give us your thoughts. Renew our thinking with your thoughts, Lord, please. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen.